Hi there, and thanks for joining us again on Teaching Together, the Complete Mathematics podcast. On the podcast, we talk through a single objective in detail in order to make our teaching of the chosen idea more impactful. As always, I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're going to look at angle sum of a polygon. You can play along at home by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcast to download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. Angle sum of a polygon is from stage 9, unit 3 of the complete mathematics curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. I'm here today with my complete maths colleague, Rob. Hi, Dave. And without further delay, let's discuss teach, do, practice, behave with angle sum of a polygon. Before we teach pupils a new idea, there is one important question to consider. Are we doing the right maths at the right level? If we're not and it's too easy, we're wasting important time in the classroom. But if it's too hard, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone. And we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing the prerequisite knowledge for this mathematical idea. Rob, what are the prerequisite ideas for this objective? Um, well, we've got finding angles in regular polygons that comes before the angle sum of uh, polygons. And obviously, we need to know what a regular polygon is. Uh, we need to know the angle sum of a quadrilateral and angle sum of a triangle. Quadrilaterals and their angles, triangles and their angles. Uh, before we get to that, though, Dave, we need to understand the language of turning, position, movement and direction, right angles, half turns and fractions of a turn. I'm sure there are lots of other things that could be included, but what's really important is our understanding of those angle facts. Yeah, and all these sort of basic angle facts thing that you've just mentioned, um, I think that we've got to assume that they're already kind of embedded. And so those prerequisites that you listed of finding angles in regular polygons, the angle sum of a quadrilateral, the angle sum of a triangle, quadrilaterals and their angles, and triangles and their angles, they're the things that I'd like to check um, whether kids are ready for. So I like to do this as part of a starter, and you can see the prerequisite check that I put together on slide three. This brings in the ideas from the prerequisites of the angle sum of a quadrilateral and that of a triangle, whilst also giving a bit of airtime to some other basic angle facts that may not seem related to today's objective, but pupils will benefit from bringing them to the forefront of their mind, spacing retrieval of these concepts. Well, what I really like about those examples that you've got there, Dave, is that we've got the different types of triangles there. I can see that you've got an isosceles triangle. You've got angles that are actually outside of the original um, shape that you're trying to find the angles that are missing. You've got uh, angles that meet at a point. But instead of just having a vertically opposite angle, you've got uh, part of the angle is given and then the other part isn't uh is that that's what the pupil's going to try and work out. And um, what's missing, I think, Dave, in one of those examples might be just the right angle where we don't actually um, give the pupils the size of the angle, uh, but they have to sort of work out that the little square represents a right angle in those examples. Oh, yeah, that would be a nice little addition. So when pupils have completed this activity and we know that they're ready to learn a new idea, we'll start to teach. In the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, though only just beyond their current level of understanding. 
The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. So, Rob, how are, you, how are we teaching this idea? Well, we've got this growing triangles model. Uh, on slide four, you'll be able to see how we start with one triangle and then we can add an additional triangle and we get our quadrilateral. We can add another triangle and we get our pentagon and we can add another triangle to get our hexagon. We can see the number of triangles that make up the pentagon or the hexagon that we've got with the number of triangles inside. Here we can see that there are four triangles that make up a hexagon. Dave, anything to add? Yeah, I just think that's a really, a really nice, um, a really nice visual representation of why the angle sum of a hexagon is seven hundred and twenty degrees, because it's just one hundred and eighty multiplied by four. Yeah, that's a really good example. If we look on slide five, though, Dave, you'll see how I've used a pentagon to show the same thing. We've connected the diagonals by joining vertices. Notice that the diagonals aren't allowed to cross. And then we also have where we've put the centroid point of the pentagon and connected each of the vertices. We can see the number of triangles is the same as the number of sides of the polygon, and then we just subtract the angles at a point. I actually think that's a really useful model to show pupils, Dave, and um, I think it's more intuitive that the number of triangles is the same as the number of sides for the polygon, and then we can just subtract the angles at a point. So we can do that with both regular and irregular uh, polygons. Yeah, I really like both methods. Um, I'll be honest. I, I do. I, I haven't seen the the method on the right for for quite a long time into my teaching career, um, but I really like just the. I guess I'm going to call it symmetry between the the 180 lots of n minus two on both sides, and how algebraically you can show that and show that these are basically giving you the same outcome. As an aside, Dave, why is the sum of angles at a point 360 degrees? Oh, I know this one, Rob. Um, this has something to do with the orbit of the Earth around the sun. That's right, yeah. You might wonder why, for mathematical reasons, that we use 360 degrees. Well, it's because 360 is divisible by any number from 1 to 10 except 7. In fact, there are actually 24 different numbers that can divide into 360, which makes it a highly composite number. And now, so this was the Babylonians, right? Yeah, I think it was the Babylonians, the Sumerians used a sexagesimal system, which is like a base 60 number system. Um, they really like the use of these highly composite numbers because it makes calculations really easy. And you can obviously divide a circle uh, into those parts really easy. Oh, nice. And, and I mean, we all know that the uh, Earth orbits the sun in just over 365 days, right? But so why 360? Uh, well, it was to do with the moon cycles actually taking approximately 28 days. And uh, there used to be this um, pattern of the planets and the celestial bodies, which is where we actually got the seven days of the week from. It was the planets that could be seen from Earth. So uh, the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. That's where we got our seven days of the week from. And that links into the moon cycles, with there roughly being 28 days in a moon cycle. And so when we work out the calendar, 
they worked out that the sun cycle, uh, which is where we get the word circle from, it was the cycle of the Earth moving around the sun and that taking roughly 360 days. That's some pretty strong cultural capital there, Rob. Yeah, and I think it's really useful to uh, show pupils that they didn't have calculators. And so the fact that 360 was highly composite meant that you could do lots of these calculations in your head. And obviously, they didn't have calculators back then. Yeah, that's really nice. Now, um, those of you at home can click the PowerPoint, which shows the two methods for calculating the angle sum of a polygon. Um, and that will take you straight to our CPD shot on that. Now, transitioning out of a teach phase, we're looking for pupils to do, and that's coming up next. So now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they have been shown. In most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution and complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. The teacher is responsive to pupils, amending their model or example to make stronger connections in pupil schema and maintaining pupil motivation. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea, and it's important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. So this is about replication of a new procedure and developing fluency. And just automation with that. So what kind of activity are we looking to use here, Rob? Well, Dave, I think what's important is allow pupils the opportunity to decide which polygon they want to find the angle sum of. And whilst it's all well and good for everyone to use the same shape, I think it's more powerful if they're able to choose which polygon uh, they want to find the angle sum of, be it an octagon or a heptagon or a hexagon or a pentagon. And I think giving them that choice allows them to have the opportunity to at least do a little bit of thinking for themselves. And with that growing triangle model that you'll have already shown them in the teach phase, hopefully pupils will be able to do both methods and see if they get the same answer. So in my classroom, I think I'd go down the route of example problem pairs. I would show them how to calculate the angle sum of a, of, an, of a hexagon and then ask them to do the angle sum of a pentagon, for example. And when that's positive and I get the right response from them, I'll move on and I'll try to find the missing angle in, let's say, a pentagon. And then I will show them how to do that and then ask them to do a hexagon. Show them how to do an octagon. And then maybe they show me how to do a heptagon and so on and so forth. And keep repeating this until... They've shown me that they can do all that I want them to do. And then on slide six, there's just a really simple do activity, which is just like a standard textbook exercise. I'm not sure if you've got any thoughts about that, Rob. And no, Dave, I think the textbook exercise there looks fairly straightforward. I think it would help uh, pupils uh, practice their angle sum of a polygon. But I did think it was interesting that we've got uh, the sum of the interior angles for pentagon, hexagon, octagon, dodecagon. And uh, we used quadrilateral earlier in the session. And uh, if we were sticking with the Greek, we would use tetragon there. OK, um, so do you want to do you want to explain that a little more? So obviously I was having a conversation with Jonathan Hall about the Greek and the Latin and that we should use trigon for triangle and tetragon for 
uh, a four-sided shape uh, instead of quadrilateral. And uh, Jonathan thought it was uh, pretty interesting to uh, see that when we get to a nine-sided shape, we uh, often refer to it as a nonagon. Again, nonagon coming from the Latin, uh, rather than using eneagon, which would come from the Greek. So um, we use this uh, throughout um, the calendar as well, with uh, September, October, November, December, all coming from the Latin. Uh, but we'll know that they're 9, 10, 11, and 12. And that was because the Romans decided to uh, add a couple of extra months, uh, Dave. Do you know which two they decided to add? Um, I know that there are two that are named after Roman emperors, but I do not know which two were added. Well, it was July and August after Julius Caesar and Augustus, but uh, they weren't the ones that were added. They were just renamed. It was actually January and February that we added in. Oh, okay. Uh, Rob, you are dropping cultural capital all over this podcast today. Well, if you wanted a little bit more, Dave, it was uh, July and August were um, 31 days because uh, Julius and Augustus were important Romans, so they had to have the most days in their months. Actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, having worked through the teach and do phases and pupils have developed fluency, we're now segueing into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing, and it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far. Pupils tend to perform with a new idea, but don't form connections between the novel idea and their existing schema, and this affects retention. Pupils are now fluent with the process of the new idea, so we're directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships, and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed exercise that will aid pupils in forming links. And we also have an opportunity to coach pupils in method selection, answering questions such as, what is the question asking me? And what do I know about how to solve this problem? So Rob, what kind of activity might the teacher use here? Well, Dave, I think this is where we're going to give the pupils a question, something like, what is the sum of the interior angle of a regular pentagon or a regular hexagon? Or we might just ask, what is the sum of the interior angles in an octagon or a dodecagon? I think some pupils are going to, again, need to uh, be explained what the number of sides are for those shapes. Um, but I think uh, when we've worked on the language and we've explained exactly what we mean, pupils are going to be able to access this kind of activity pretty much uh, with full speed ahead. Yeah, so on slide seven, we've just called it a practice activity. And this asks the questions, what is the sum of the interior angles in a pentagon, a hexagon, an octagon, and a dodecagon? And question two looks to give all the angles in a polygon, but with one hidden. And you'll see that A has five angles. And so that uses the answer from one A. And B has six angles, so that uses the answer from 1B. Whereas C has four angles, and that doesn't link back to any question previously, which means that they've now got to think about a quadrilateral. Now, as we progress through this activity, question three links straight back to question one in all four parts. But this time we're talking about an, an interior angle in a regular polygon, which means that question two and question three are a bit different. What do you think of that, Rob? Uh, yeah, I do like uh, these questions, Dave. I also wonder whether 
I'd be liking to see an image or a representation of the actual shape with the angles marked and labelled so that I can give the pupils a visual representation in order to answer these kind of questions. Because, um, for example, if you change the 145 in part A on question two to 345, would the pupils know that it's not possible to have a negative angle in order to get the angle sum correct? Um, I think sometimes when we create these kind of questions, uh, we need to make sure that the lengths and the angles are possible and uh, showing them uh, the acute angles and the obtuse angles uh, can be quite important in terms of uh, visualising what's actually going on. Okay, no, yeah, I, I see that, Rob. And then it's nice, it's nice in this phase to be able to make these strong connections. Now, after pupils have formed these strong connections, assimilating this new idea into their schema, we're looking at them behaving mathematically. In order to make mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. Pupils develop a deeper understanding through behaving mathematically. And when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Unfortunately, we suspect that the behave phase is often cut short in learning episodes or is missing entirely as teachers feel pressure to cover the scheme of learning. Now, in the behave phase, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years so we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. So what have we got, Rob? Well, Dave, I think we've got the kind of question that's really going to make pupils think. And one of those might be explain why 173 can't be the interior angle of a regular polygon. Or we could have... Why do squares and hexagons tessellate, but pentagons don't tessellate as well? And I can see on slide nine, we've got some nice questions where we've got polygons uh, together, and we're using the angle facts that we know in order to calculate missing angles. Yeah, so this missing angle activity on slide nine, it's curated from images that were shared by Ed Southall on Twitter. And for me when we take into account this maturation gap, this is a behaved task for two years' time from this objective. So when pupils have sort of embedded this idea into their schema and then it's well matured over the two years' gap, this is something that we bring back and we say, hey, you know that idea that you learned about before? Now I want you to use it. So in the same way, on slide eight, pupils have encountered the names of polygons um, and it's another activity from Ed Southall which looks at writing the names of, um, I guess, any sided shape. And this can take us up to you know, a 999-sided shape. So, yeah, I can see from uh, the 1 to 10 example there, we've got the uh, Greek for each of the numbers. And as uh, we mentioned earlier, you can see di, tri, tetra uh, for 2, 3, 4, uh, penta, hexa, and hepta. Uh, we sort of get that overlap with the uh, Latin for uh, September coming from Hector, uh, set becomes, uh, and then for October, November, December, octa, 
Uh, November is nonagon, but we use Enea for nine in the Greek, and December 10. Uh, because there were only 10 months in a Roman year, Dave, they thought there were about 304 days uh, in a year, but uh, they added those additional months to bring it in line with uh, everyone else. Yeah, so those Greek prefixes of henna, di, tri, tetra, penta, hexa, hepta, octa, ennea, and deca, they form the basis for the for the shapes that pupils are quite confident with. But if I were to ask them what is a 36-sided shape called, this is something that they're going to struggle with. But it's nice that we can talk them through this, and it's something that pupils can play about with. So a 36-sided shape is called a triaconta chi hexagon. Uh, we take the tri and the conta, and um, we add conta for the for the tens, and hexagon makes six. So a triaconta chi hexagon is a thirty-six sided shape. Rob, what do you call a fifty-four sided shape? Fifty-four sides, Dave. Well, we've got uh, penta and conta. That's going to give us our fifty, and we're going to need uh, tetra, and we're going to need a gon on the end. So I think we're going to have a penta conta. Tetragon. I think you need a pentaconta chi tetragon because we need the chi for the and after 20. But it's a really good effort, Rob. So that's the end of this episode of Teaching Together. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode. And if you have any thoughts to add, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDA01. And Rob? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, RJS2212. Or you can get in touch with Complete Maths on Atlas Out Ed. Or via email, I'm on Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I'm Rob at CompleteMaths.com. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum for free at CompleteMaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives, from early counting to calculus. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our... Teaching together! Until next time, take care. Bye.